Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to episode two of season 23 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Today, it's a slightly different podcast from normal, as this episode was recorded live at People Analytics World 2022, which took place in London and online in April. If you were there, it's another chance for you to hear my conversation with two illuminating guests, Jordan Petman and Tersha Wiedenhoff. And if you weren't able to attend, then this is just a small slice of what you missed that week. Jordan is Head of Organisation Analytics and Insight at London Stock Exchange Group. And Tersha is Head of People Analytics and Insights at Rabobank. And between us in this episode, we cover the impact of the pandemic on the field of people analytics and the role of the Chief People Officer. We look at the evolution and future considerations for hybrid working and the increased appetite for data-driven analytics and cultures. Jordan and Tertia and I also look at the best way for people analytics teams and HR to successfully work together. And there's a whole lot more in the conversation too. So please come and join me on stage at the Royal College of Physicians in London for my conversation with Jordan Petman and Tertia Wiedenhoff. So we'll start as we usually do on the show. Welcome to the show, Jordan and Tersha. Uh, and thank you for helping us to create this historic episode. Um, please can each of you provide listeners with a brief introduction to you and your respective roles. And Tersha, let's start with you. Yeah, sure. I'm a product owner at Rabobank in our people analytics team. So what we do is um, uh, people analytics research cases, uh, but also employee listening, uh, people data reporting and dashboarding, and uh, HR innovation. So uh, full uh, scope of that. Uh, Rabobank is a global cooperative bank, and we're headquartered in the Netherlands. Thanks, Sasha. And Jordan? I'm Jordan Petman. I'm uh, head of... Organization Analytics and Insights at LSEG, London Stock Exchange Group, um, with a remit quite similar to Tersh's, actually. Uh, so we, we look after uh, data standards and the way that we integrate into our corporate data office and, and corporate privacy office and that sort of stuff. Reporting, business intelligence, org design, workforce planning, analytics, and employee listening. And you've both been in the people analytics field for a number of years. Tersh, I think you've been four and a half years in the field, so pre-pandemic as well, which will help with the next question. And Jordan, a long, long time. enough that I've had to use more hair dye recently. <laughs> there we are. There hair dye and people analytics. That's a correlation <laughs> for you, isn't it? Um, so let, let's start with the, this, this question. I'd love to hear from both of you on, on this. Um, we've heard a lot today uh, at People Analytics World, and we've heard a lot you know, over the last few months, um, two years, in fact, about the impact that the pandemic has had on the field of people analytics in general, HR, and also the role of the chief people officer. You know, have you seen this shift in your organisations too? And, and do you think the business perception of people analytics has also changed in the, in the last two years? Jordan, do we start, start with you on that? Um, I would say for sure. And I think for, for anyone that's in the room with us today, they would know that, uh, that this is absolutely something that I saw because I talked about it this morning. Um, but yes, I would say the, the, the roles of the, the chief people officer that I've seen in, in both current organization and, and previous definitely shifted as a result of, I guess, the, the heightened requirement of other business leaders to really be quite intimate with 
what information they could gather about their workforce. And if you think about you know, the, when COVID first started and we started working hybrid and our employees were all probably not vaccinated yet and catching COVID, there was, there was a need for businesses to be able to start to manage employees' health information, not just their personal information. So I think the role of the chief people officer and, and thus the support that we gave them out of people analytics was pretty important because we're often the custodians of data privacy around our employees' data. And so our ability to provide the business with mechanism to be able to interrogate information about their employees in a way that was around safeguarding them, around ensuring that they were able to come to premises if they needed to come to premises in a way that was going to make sure that we didn't contaminate people who had COVID and didn't have COVID and, and all of that sort of stuff. I think it became really very important, particularly like in businesses like Nestle, where I was, loads of Nestle didn't work from home. Loads of Nestle works in factories and and distribution centers. And so the role of the the chief HR officer and, and their HR teams became really important because without them in place to be able to use data about those employees to make sure that supply chain continued to run, those businesses would have ground to a halt. So yes, I think the the role of a chief people officer has become far more important or the the spotlight, I guess, has been shone differently on the chief people officer because of the power of the the people data that they can bring to those kind of business continuity conversations. Yeah, business is as well as employee well-being and safety. It's it's business continuity, isn't it, essentially? Um, You know, one organisation that I spoke to, big pharma distribution company in the US, their people analytics team were able to pinpoint when they would need to shut down their distribution center on the East Coast because of COVID infections. Mm-hmm. So they were able to, and they, they actually predicted it within a few days of when it actually happened. So they were able to put continuity um, plans in, contingency plans, sorry, in place so that the pharmacies and the hospitals on the East Coast were serviced. So really important. And, and Tertia, is it something similar that you've seen as well? Yeah, I, I really recognize that. And especially for us, if you remember two year, more than two years ago from one day till the other, one day we were all at the office and then the other day you wouldn't see anyone anymore, everyone at home. And I think that's when we realize it's not like employee listening is not about HR, but it's about really genuinely listening to what employees need. And so our team was able to set up, I think within one week, a survey to a sample of the organization. Okay, how are you doing? Uh, what is actually you need? How can we support you even more? Because of those two basic questions that's what we wanted to know. And then we saw the patterns emerge, right? So at first, the first couple of weeks, it was all about IT setting up VPNs connections. Then after a couple of weeks, it was about facilities, people recognizing I'm for four weeks at my kitchen chair that doesn't work. So I need a proper screen and proper chair. And then after a while, it became more HR topics about connection with uh, colleagues, uh, more about uh, the purpose of being aligned to the rest of the organization. And that's really interesting that you see those shifts. And it's not a listening to employees, it's not an HR topic per se, but using those data by more uh, departments, that's really valuable. Yeah. And I think what, what we sounds like we've seen in both the organization you were working in, probably your current organization, Jordan, and, and at Rabobank, Tertia, is that people analytics enabled the chief people officer and the team to really do that work and have that impact. 
and business leaders have now seen what people analytics and HR, good HR can do, and they want more of it. Which, Tersha, leads on to, so stay, staying with you on this, you know, can you talk to some of the newer activities that you've been involved in as a people analytics team over the last year or two and, and how you've seen some of this change impact your work? Much was about uh, hybrid work. So uh, I think already one and a half years ago, we were all at home at the time, but we know there will be a time when restrictions will be less and we can come back. Okay, what do people want? So we asked again and we saw that like people don't want to come back for five days uh, to the office anymore but now we can experiment okay what's uh, what how are people going to use the office uh, we have opened the offices again but there are no strict rules about you have to come two or three days to the office we really give people a lot of freedom uh, to it so we um Ask people, check which activities are you going to do. Check with your team. Uh, if it's about like creativity or uh, uh, networking with colleagues or uh, meeting customers, of course, you're welcome to come at the office. Uh, but you can also stay uh, stay at home in your office if that's more useful or you have to highly do highly concentrative work. And what's really interesting is as of recently, our uh, workplace uh, IT colleagues and facilities colleagues are also reporting in the CHRO. What means that as a people analytics team, we can start using the data, how the offices are used. Uh, and of course, we don't want to do that like in a creepy kind of way because we don't want like a monitor individuals. But we really want to check, okay, what's working in this hybrid way of working? What do we need to adjust? And, uh, and how can we help people even better? Because for instance, a person who chooses to be only once every two weeks in the office, he or she is maybe interested a lot in uh, improving home home offices, whereas people who are for five days or four days a week at the office, they may be interested more in commuting allowance, things like that. And you really want to customize more what people need uh, so that, yeah, using those data will open up uh, facilities like that. And really interesting, you've kind of put the people, the workforce and the workplace data together. So I guess that's going to help you understand, as you said, how people are using the office and potentially inform workplace design moving forward, depending on what people, whether they're using the office more for collaboration, for example. And if you want to really want your employees to thrive, it's not like about, oh, this is an HR product or an IT uh, uh, product or solution or something or facilities. If you want to like the, do the end-to-end employee journey as well, it's really cool to collaborate uh, intensively with uh, also IT and facilities. And our new setup allows us to do that. And that's yeah, really amazing. And I guess moving forward as well, you know, looking at, you know, if companies are being flexible around employee choice and on how many days they spend or, or don't spend in the office, then I guess down the line, we're going to have to be looking at, are you discriminated against effectively? If you're mainly working from home, how do we make sure that people that are doing good work who are mainly working from home aren't being overlooked for promotion? And I guess that's where people analytics is, is, is going to help support those discussions and and investigations. Very interesting. So Jordan, you know, how has Elseg approached the, the shift to hybrid working and, you know, and people returning to the office and what role have you and your team played? Yeah, so I guess uh, Elseg, Elseg is, is global despite being the London Stock Exchange Group, wherein our return to office, um, the, the approach is, is obviously very different depending on where you are. Um, we are somewhat impacted by a couple of different geopolitical things 
happening at the moment. Um, those of you with workforces in South Asia might know that there's all kinds of challenges with things like fuel shortages and rolling blackouts and difficulty to get to an office and difficulty to, to work remote. Um, those of you with uh, workforces in places like Russia and Ukraine and, and uh, others in Central Europe will know there are challenges there as well. Uh, and so we've, we're, we're running a, a pretty diversified return to, to office strategy, I guess. Um, but our, uh, our CEO in our most recent town hall was actually really explicit that we, as a business, we do want employees to want to be co-located and want to work together. Um, like many businesses, we, we took the opportunity that not having employees in offices provided us to make our offices a, a nice place to be with collaboration zones. And his really clear message to all of us in, in the last town hall was like, come back. But we recognize that working from home is, is a thing. And I quite like working from home. And so we don't expect people to be back five days a week. So something that we've been really clear on is that we expect a return to office that is purpose-led. And we expect that purpose to be led by teams. So for, for me, our approach to hybrid is down to the decisions that I make with my team. It's not driven by my ex-co member down for all of HR. It's, it's about the way that we choose to work together. And I think some of that triggers maybe less analytically driven uh, actions, but a range of actions that aren't just about whether you're, you're in the same place at the same time or at home. It's some of the behavioral stuff and, and a, in, a, in an employee listening kind of way, forcing us to be really open to, uh, to, to both giving feedback about the way that we're experiencing hybrid and then creating an expectation on those teams and leaders like me who need to set the expectation for what hybrid looks like. So I have, I have a bunch of people in London, as you might expect at the London Stock Exchange, um, and a bunch of people elsewhere and uh, kind of new into our hybrid working where our, our London people were coming back into the office. We'd be sitting in our meeting room and we've got all of the whiz bang, you know, new, new technologies that have the cameras that track people's faces when they speak. And it's all, it's all great. And uh, people at home obviously can dial in and it's all fine. But we got really direct feedback during one of those meetings that my face was almost constantly behind the tub of wet wipes to clean down the tables. And so even with the great technology, we still weren't able to see. And it's unfair on those people who are working remotely to dial into those meeting rooms to still not see people. So one of the actions that we've then taken is to deliberately listen to what those people have said. And all of us, despite, remember those rules that if you were going into a meeting room, you'd leave your laptop at your desk because if you had your laptop open, you weren't paying attention. We flipped it so that we all take our laptops and put our cameras on our faces so that when we are speaking, we're not sitting behind the wet wipe uh, container and we're, we're able to be seen. So I think it, it's, it's driven a real need to listen to our colleagues and change the way that we behave so that the hybrid experience is hybrid and not just someone working from home and not getting the benefit of being in the meeting room with everyone. I think some of the rest of it then is, is the way that we then do use some of the data about the way that people are coming back to drive a bunch of different decisions. You know, if, if we realize that there's a percentage of the population that don't require to be in the office 
in order to be effective, then perhaps our office doesn't need to be as large. And so, you know, if we're making bottom line decisions around the way that offices are used, we're obviously able to use some of that hybrid data to help the business make sensible decisions about that as well. And it's, an, you know, again, if a chief people officer is, or CEO for that matter, has got people analytics as part of its armory, it gives you a chance to experiment a little bit around hybrid working and, and test and iterate, and learn and move on. Is this one of the things that's really elevating people analytics in, in, in your two organisations? I think it is, and it is it is not returning to the office like we used to. So it's still an experiment. Like two years ago, we were all at home. It wasn't yeah, a necessary experiment. Now we want this, this hybrid working, but it's like Jordan says, if something isn't working, then adjust and try it out and talk to each other and check what works for teams. And for instance, what we saw is that in the past, people almost all, if they went to an office, it was to the headquarters or the regional office. Now we've opened up also a lot of our local offices because two or three people who are located from their house more closely to a local office, they might want to meet up in a local uh, office and it saves uh, traveling time, it saves emissions, it's good for uh, work-life uh, balance. So we're already seeing people are meeting more often in those local offices. Well, that's really something that's useful, uh, but you don't have to be scared that if something yeah didn't work, because we all designed the hybrid working when we were still at home, right? It was like a, th- a theoretical exercise. So now we're bringing it into praxis. Yeah, you can be sure that some things don't work out and it's not a shame. Just adjust and see what works. We're afforded this tremendous opportunity to use the data that we've got available to us, whether it's about people's attendance in in offices or our survey data or what have you, to really help the business and our CEOs and, and ex-co's to understand perhaps the way that our cultures have shifted across the last two years. And whether that's a good thing and whether that's a bad thing and whether our employees are able to maintain their own well-being and their work-life integration in a way that is appropriate, that delivers their well-being, but our productivity as well, right? I remember a conversation with my, my boss at Nestle. He was really challenged during COVID because the way that he was able to maintain you know, a sense of what was going on in his team, but also a sense of what was going on with his people was that we'd go for lunch. Like it was it was the thing that we did in the Nestle headquarters. You'd go for lunch and, and you'd know what was going on. You don't do that if everyone's sitting in their, well, if, if you're like me in, in your sweatpants at home eating microwave soup for lunch. You know, it's so the, the data that we have available to us gives us this opportunity to help those business leaders who don't have the opportunity to take their team to lunch regularly to kind of say like, hey, like, you know, we can see from all of this passive data that we might have access to through Microsoft or et al uh, to, to understand that our people are actually not taking breaks or our people are not repurposing that hour that they used to commute for going for a run or meditating or hanging out with the kids or taking the dog for the walk. They're rolling out of bed and rolling into their emails. We've got this opportunity to help those leaders understand employee behavior, help them get their arms around whether or not employee behavior is something that we'd like to see, whether it's harmful, whether it's generating well-being, and then like make deliberate decisions around what outcomes our hybrid strategies are driving. 
which I like it, it's new for me and it's super exciting. The opportunity to continually do brand new things in the people analytics world is what keeps it exciting and what's what keeps those of us who've got lots of gray hair doing it, I guess, because we weren't having this conversation two years ago and now it's something that we're all talking about. It's cool. When we come back in just a moment, Jordan and Tertia discuss the future of people analytics and how people analytics can help drive sustainability agendas in our organisations. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Vizio. The well-being of employees and of business are intertwined. Keeping tabs on both means empowering people leaders with critical insights for the benefit of all. Vizio provides the insights you need to see your people and your business clearly. Vizio has 15,000 customers in 75 countries around the world, including enterprises like Adobe, BASF, Bridgestone, Electronic Arts, McKesson, Merck, Uber, and more. Learn more at vizier.com. That's V-I-S-I-E-R.com. Welcome back to this special live episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast, recorded at People Analytics World 2022, with me in conversation with Jordan Petman and Tersha Wiedenhoff. It's interesting, actually, to to point both of you made it. When Jonathan and I were writing the book and we were looking at the future of people analytics, I'm going to come to that with the two of you in a minute, one of the areas that we looked at was the societal benefit of people analytics. And we were thinking very much around the DEI agenda and not just within your organisations, but in the communities that we serve. But actually, you've raised a really important point around sustainability, actually, because why can't we use people analytics to drive the same sustainability agendas in our organisations as well? And, you know, and, and that definitely is a conversation that links to hybrid work and what you're saying, meeting, meeting locally as well. Speaking about inclusion, hybrid working and what works for me can be something totally different that works for you. For instance, working at evenings. For some person, it will be a huge issue for work-life balance. And if you see it as a manager, you would say, okay, what's going on? Why are you working all those evenings? For another person, it will be the opportunity to stop for a while at three get kids out of school, uh, eat with them, prepare dinner. And then after that, when they go to sleep, work for a couple of uh, hours and then give it the perfectly flexibility and it really works. So there's no one size fits all. And I think having the data available and also the, the IT and facilities data and the people data and combining those, not to do scary things with it, not to follow individuals, not to say you cannot do this or that, but to help people to thrive. I think that's really a great opportunity that uh, that people analytics can help uh, with. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, just a bit of a side, but Microsoft published something uh, a couple of weeks ago around the third peak, they're calling it now. So you get productivity peaks traditionally before lunch and just after lunch. And they found another one around sort of eight, nine o'clock in the evening where people were going on, doing a lot of, uh, answering a lot of emails and stuff. And hopefully then having a glass of wine <laughs> and going to bed. But So you've definitely, you've both seen an increased appetite in the business for people analytics. You know, what are you as, as people analytics leaders planning to do to support this demand and, and help those business leaders make more decisions based on data? So I'll come to you first, Hersha, on that one. 
So I, I was thinking about this. So what can we do even more? And I think at some point I was doubting maybe we've even been too successful at conveying the message to leaders and, and, and HR business partners. You have to use the data because people tend to ask for more and more data. And then they are there again. Okay, we need more data, another survey. And no, we don't want again to run a survey because you don't want survey fatigue. So did you already check the data that's there? And also the question what are you going to use? Uh, what are you going to do with the, the data? And often the answer is, well, I know we have to use data. So I'm first collecting it. And then I'm not sure. I'll see when I have the data, what I'm going to do with it. And I think it's so important to always yeah, give back to employees what you have done with the data, but also to dive deeper in data that's already there. Um, like Jordan said, using the passive uh, uh, data. And I think at this point, we really have to think about which information are we going to provide to which level. So I really tend to provide senior level with strategic data, whereas the more operational data, yeah, we'll have the teams to talk about that for discussions about work-life balance, energy, uh, asking each other for help, having the psychological safety. That's typical team topics to discuss there on team level. And um, I think that's interesting, the, the discussion, uh, who is going to get which data, which insights. For us as a Rabobank, we're in this agile transformation. And that also means that having the teams to decide upon uh, a lot of things. And in some cases, even uh, you can think of uh, teams hiring uh, new people or making decisions on that. But then you also, if you want that, you need to have the information streams uh, in order and not only provide the highest level with all the data, but give them the more data for strategic direction setting. So that's, I think, an interesting yeah, new way of thinking preventing the information overload because yeah. there's a tendency to, okay, give us all the data and then people, yeah, they don't have the time to, uh, to read it. So you, uh, yeah. Almost like building more trust at each level, as you talked about, whether it's executives and employees by giving them the right data to help them in their Absolutely. day-to-day work and, you know, and organize themselves as teams, which I guess is a key facet of, of agile work. And, and Jordan, you know, maybe you might want to speak to the, the shift to, to, from Nestle to, LSEG and you know the desire you're working at a data company now yeah it's it's uh it's interesting and I think we're we've kind of got a bit of a double-edged sword really in that uh I, I work for a data company now and and that means that our leaders are all that they're all anxious to have access to lots of information um which is good that means that they're impatient <laughs> to get lots of information um, and in an integrating business in in both of our businesses we're, we're kind of populated by data literate uh, data literate productive and competent people who want to ensure that the business leaders can make the right decisions that they need to make um, which often means that we find lots of people who've had a really great idea to create a dashboard that helps their leader to see that data and, and make some decisions with it. And then you look at the leader to their left and lo and behold, there's a dashboard that's been created for that leader that is helping them to make decisions. And maybe the calculations in those dashboards are the same. Maybe they're not. Uh, and maybe the, the way that the data made it to that dashboard is secure and, and permission controlled and maybe it's not. 
So I think there's, there's this great desire to have more information and then that responsibility on, on my team, but in, in the people function more broadly, to make sure that data privacy is governed at source and that data consistency is something that we, that we, that we stand everything else upon. And so there's that real wanting to be the enabler whilst also being the blocker, eventually, uh, essentially, to, to other people misusing some of that data. So it's, um, it, it's, it's interesting, but I think the, the opportunity that we have to, to ensure that the double-edged sword doesn't cut us in both directions is to, to focus on ensuring that our people function, whether it's business partners or talent managers or what have you, are enabled to be augmented by the insight and informations and tools that are available to them, rather than having that expectation that perhaps they've got to go and build that for themselves because I think we, we heard in a, a, a sit down a little earlier, you know, the idea of someone, uh, an ex-co member taking a screenshot of a slide and then sending it to someone else and having the scramble to go and reproduce it for their area. I think if if we if we're successful in ensuring that our business partners and talent managers and reward managers sing from the same song sheet and use the same tool set, we have a real opportunity to accelerate the way that all of our business leaders use the same information in the same way to make the right decisions. Um, but there's part of that that then speaks to a need to move really, really quickly. So I think a, a big focus for us is perhaps unsurprisingly getting all of our data into a data lake that is governed through data privacy by design, that is governed through role-based access control, that then enables us to give business intelligence teams elsewhere in the business the ability to pull a headcount. And we don't need to give them permission to do that because by role-based security, they're already allowed to. And it kind of enables us to enable the people function at the same time as enabling other parts of the business to do whatever they need to without getting in anyone's way. It's um, different and new and equal challenges to Nestle, but good. It's always challenging. Yeah. Wherever you go. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. I hope you're enjoying this special live episode of the podcast. In the final section, Jordan and Tertia look to the future and offer some advice on what HR can do to adapt as we continue to come out of the pandemic. So as we look further into the future, what do you think, and let's be honest, we wouldn't have predicted a pandemic, so I, I won't hold you to this. What do you think are going to be some of the other challenges that you're going to face? Has the rest of HR kept pace with this new demand for people data? You know, is this change putting pressure on HR skill sets or even what the right operating model should be for how HRBPs and 
people and the 16s work together. So, Jordan, I'll stay, with, I'll stay with you first on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think I spoke a little bit about this this morning as well. I think the because we keep talking about analytics and data literacy being something that's super important to the HR function generally, and because of the way that HR technology has developed, there's so much analytics that either is or could be inherent in the way that we run HR process, that the way that people analytics is going to need to continue to evolve, I think is kind of different to the way that it was maybe this time five years ago. If we're living and working in a place where the HR skill set is going to become far more about taking a, a digitally enabled set of HR processes to business, the people analytics obligation, I suppose, is ensuring that those HR folk that are digitally enabled are asking all the right questions right up the front. I think I, I probably overuse this quote, but it's um, the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. He says to Alice that if you don't know where you're going, then any which road will take you there. And I think we, we kind of talk about that when we start thinking about the data that we put into an HR solution that we then get to the end of that HR solution and then can't tell people whether that learning intervention was effective because the data that that learning intervention has produced doesn't tell us whether it is or not. So I think as HR practitioners get better and better at delivering all of these, these interventions that are driven through data, through technologies, I think our role in people analytics is going to become far more about making sure that we're right at the beginning of those processes, defining what goes in rather than being bolted on at the end and, and analyzing what comes out the other end. Because, you know, what a garbage in, garbage out. Yep. Yeah, there you that, go. That's the polite way of saying it. I'm glad you said that way. <laughs> um, and Tersha? Yeah, I think I've always said that um, in the end, if we are successful as people analytics teams, then we are not necessary anymore because HR or the rest of HR can do it themselves. Pre-pandemic, our team was already working like 50-50 in, in the other HR teams embedded to help them further. We have stretched that now even to 70%. And at one stage, you can say, who is going to do that and spend so many times? But if you really want to like uh, create valuable employee solutions, then you really have to start with the data and not design products that you think as HR or workplace IT or facilities think that are interesting or good for employees, but you have to listen to employees use the data uh, before you start designing something and that we're doing that with them now embedded and that's I think yeah creates uh, a lot of opportunities and sometimes people are scared when I say when you're successful you're not needed anymore as a people analytics team of course I don't think that we want to turn every HR professional into a people data scientist that's not the case but to have like the uh, data literally skills to use the data to do the proper analysis. I think that's needed for for everyone who designs uh, employee solutions. I'm almost reluctant to ask the question, given that Insight Two 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 have recently published the new operating model for people analytics teams. But I kind of wonder if this is heralding maybe a new operating model for people analytics teams. You now, if the if the the baseline competency of HR teams is fundamentally changing and the ask of people analytics teams is fundamentally changing. Does it mean that we potentially become less center of expertise and become far more business partner focused because we're, you know, we're still going to do some of the heavy lifting around analytics and predictive analytics and forecasting and that sort of stuff. But 
you know, are, are we, do we need to become less center of expertise and more business partner? I don't know. Maybe that's some research you and Jonathan can do. Well, it could be some research that we do in the, in the organization. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's an interesting thought, you know, um, and, and yeah, I mean, as some of those skills disperse more into, into the overall HR population, then you could see that there could be a time when we're not putting up slides saying how much people analytics teams are growing. But um, I guess the future will, will tell us. We're going to start to wrap up now. This, this is the question we're asking everyone on, on this series of the podcast. Um, so I'll, I'll go to you first on this one, uh, Tersha. You know, um, what do you believe to be the two to three things that, that HR will need to do to really add business value as we come out, and I could say hopefully come out of the pandemic? Two things. Um, first, uh, a lot of companies, of course, are talking about talent. Where are we getting talent from? I would say don't only look at your outside talent, but look at fostering the talent you have in the organization. Help people to reskill, upskill, um, uh, look at your tra internal transfers. And also I think about internal uh, internship and not only for people who are like uh, 23 years old but also an internship when you're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 but to help people keep people keep on learning uh, and the other thing is yeah just like I said that hybrid working it is an experiment um, be brave enough to adjust when people when things don't work uh, adjust it and also think about we're talking about pre-pandemic but I think at this stage it's more like pre-government measures in a lot of, not in all countries, but in a lot of countries. Um, but COVID's still out there. So how can you create a safe environment for everyone, be inclusive, that everyone can attend in your organization? That's also a really important thing for HR to focus on the upcoming time. And, and Jordan? So I think there's, I think point one is probably about getting out of our silo. So if we're talking about HRE stuff like organization design, workforce planning, talent planning, et cetera, doing that in concert with people like uh, real estate because we're making decisions around the way that we use property, um, doing that with people like our, our finance team because we, we want to be able to, to describe the way that our HR intervention is delivering to top or bottom line as well. I think that's pretty critical. I think at the same time, we probably need to dial up our stewardship, I suppose, of things like inclusion and well-being, because as we come out of, of these current times, fingers crossed, um, there, there will obviously be a focus from particularly commercial business on commercials. And I, I think that we probably need to be the Jiminy Cricket of our leadership teams and make sure that we are bringing the human element forward. I think the last thing that will be game changing, because we all do keep talking about skills, is to really get a handle around what skills are coming after the jobs that we know about now so that we can start to connect employees with the skills that they should be developing now, the career paths that we can't describe to them yet. I think it's those three. Great. Some really great thoughts there. Thanks to both of you for being a guest on this special episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast recorded at People Analytics World in London at the Royal College of Physicians. Please can each of you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, follow you on social media if you do that, find out more about your work. Yeah, and I would be LinkedIn or Twitter. Yeah. Mainly LinkedIn, though. Twitter is full of me liking other people's posts of sunsets. So I, I say thank you very much Thanks, to Jordan and Tersha.
and then I'll move over to the lectern to do the next thing. Thank you so much for listening to this live episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again to my guests, Jordan Petman and Tersha Wiedenhoff. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show with five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. We'll be back next week for episode three of series 23. Well, I'll be talking to Ian Cook, VP of People Analytics at Vizia. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.